Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. John chapter 13, I want to I I read the verses in just a moment. It's probably a familiar passage of scripture to some of you. Uh, to some of you, maybe not, but it's very powerful, and I think it's really going to bless you. Uh, but I remember in January of 2012, uh, I was actually living in, in Louisiana at the time, and, uh, and, and I remember it was a season where God was starting to do some things in my heart and speak to me about, about starting a church, and it, it terrified me, you know. I had been in youth and young adult ministry, uh, been serving at some, just a, a beautiful church, a wonderful church, and uh, I never had any plans on ever leaving that church. I, I think there's something powerful about being planted in one church, for a long period of time. I think there's something powerful. I want to encourage you. Maybe you're checking us out today. I, I hope God speaks to you to, to plant in this house. But even if it's not in this house, plant yourself in some church because the Bible says those that are planted in the house, they will flourish. Uh, it's not bouncing around like a bunny believer to all the different churches and checking it out. It's about planting in one place and watching God do something. And so I planted my life into this church and God began to use us in this church. But in 2012, something started stirring on the inside of me about this idea of starting a life-giving church. And, and I started thinking about, well, where could that be? And what, what would that be like? What city would it be in? Would it be here in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana? Uh, would, it, would it be in Dallas, Texas? Would it be in Austin, Texas? I, I never would have ever even had any thought to, to go a little bit farther north or to the west. Uh, maybe God was calling me to Bali or to... to Maybe he was calling me, if I'm going to the West, maybe to Hawaii. How many of you feel called to Hawaii? I feel like God just, he's anointed me for Santorini in the Greek Isles. He has. I have a special calling on my life. But as I was standing there getting dressed for work that, that one morning, I began to think about San Francisco. And I had a little bit of a connection here because my sister has lived here in the Bay Area for a while. But, but as I really begin to think about this city and this region, I begin to think this is a city and this is a region that is literally, it's influencing and it's shaping the world through technology and all, all sorts of different things. But this is a city and a region that truly does shape the world. It is shaping uh, many things. Uh, Tim Keller, Dr. Timothy Keller in New York, he says, so goes the city, so goes the world. So goes the urban cities of the world. And so I begin to think about this city, this influential city-shaping um, uh, region. And, and this was a thought that came across my mind. God, I, I, I just pray that one day you would call me to build a church that shapes a city in a city that shapes the world. God, I pray that you would call, our, call us as, a, as, as leaders, as pastors, that you would call us to build a church, to start a church, to be a part of a faith community that would shape, would influence a city that would be a city that shapes and influences the world. God, would you do that for us one day? And as I thought about San Francisco, I thought, well, well could it be San Francisco? And I thought, is it even possible to plant a life-giving church in a city like San Francisco. That was, that was my reasoning right there. All this went on in like a two-minute period as I'm staring, brushing my teeth in that moment. And, and I thought, you know what? If the gospel can work anywhere, it should be able to work everywhere. And people may say that this city, this influential city-shaping city and world-shaping city, that it's, it's not possible and it's hard to the gospel. But I just thought, God, if the gospel can work in Dallas, Texas then it should be able to work in San Francisco. God, if your church can grow and flourish in Sydney, Australia, God, it should be able to. And so I just began to think about this, and I thought, what if? And I began to pray, and I began to think about that. And for the next few years, we began to talk as a couple and as a family and as a group of friends, like what would it be like to build a church that shapes a city and a city that shapes the world? 
But then I begin to ask this question, what type of church would it take to shape a city? Would it take a church that just has a relevant message that speaks to cultural conversations that are happening? Would it be a church that's just creative or, or cool or slick or this, that, whatever? Like, and, and, and I got down to this one, one kind of resolution was that the type of church that can shape a city, any city, is this. It's a, it's a, it's a church that, that loves its city with no strings attached, serving that city, meeting the practical and relevant needs of that city, not just trying to build itself up, but build up the city and make the city better and brighter. A church that could actually not just be about what happens within the walls of its church on Sunday mornings and just be some event or some experience for people, but a church where people actually get a heart, the heart of God for for broken people, for lost people, for hurting people, for poor people, for the homeless, for for the addicted. If a church should get that type of burden and be mobilized to actually go out, not just come in to the house of God, but go out as the house of God, loving a city and serving a city and pouring its heart out and its resources out to meet the needs of that city, that's the type of church that will get the attention of its city. I'm telling you what, it's not enough just to to share messages, to preach the gospel. We have to personify the gospel in our city. We have to show the world what Jesus looks like. And I think we get one of the best pictures of how we can do that in John chapter 13. Um, I want to talk to you today about serving our city, and I don't want to just talk about serving our city because I think that it also it starts with you actually serving within your home, within your workplace. I don't know if it if it really counts for us when it comes to kingdom credit, if that's even such a thing. Is if we go out and we serve the homeless, but we don't wash the dishes at home and serve our family. Like I don't know if we go out and we try to help the poor and all those things, but we don't actually serve our spouse and love our spouse. I I don't know if we kind of get the kingdom credit there unless it starts first in our own home and at our own workplace. So I want to share with you a few principles that I think tie in to both. In John chapter 13, we get one of the most amazing passages of scripture as it relates to serving. Uh, You could preach this two different ways, one about forgiveness and one about serving, but today we'll focus on serving. But in John chapter 13, um, this is the story where Jesus, he washes his disciples' Feet. Now, I, I just got to tell you right now, I have a thing against feet. I, I don't like feet. Anybody in here, you're with me, you're like, I just don't. Feet are just disgusting. I don't like it. I don't like dirty hands, and I don't like dirty feet. My grandfather used to always say, if you have dirty fingernails and dirty toenails, everything's dirty. That's what he would say. Now I tell my kids that, and it drives them crazy. Um, but John chapter 13 is, if I'm candid with you, it's a little bit of an awkward moment between Jesus and his friends It's one of the last moments that they have with him. And I want you to lean into this text with this thought in mind. These are the, the, these 12, I mean, there's 12 people there, but it will eventually be, those 11 men will become the leaders that will shape the church, the early church. These are the leaders that will shape the church, which will become the church that will shape the world. And when Jesus spends his last moments with them, he preaches, I think, the most compelling message and the most convicting and the clearest message, not with his words, but with his actions in this moment when he washes their feet. And I believe this is a moment where he's trying to, he's saying, this is the, if I'm going to get one of the last things I'm going to get into their heart as the leaders that will shape my church, I, I, got, I got to make sure they get this. They can't miss this. And so it goes like this. It was just 
before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own, look, this is an expression of his love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, one of the twelve, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, having known all that, so he got up from the table, got up from the mill, and he took off his outer clothing. This was the robe. Most scholars say this was the rabbi's robe, his, his sign of, of, of what he does to represent God to people. It says, And then after taking off the robe, he, he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. We'll skip on down to verse 12. Verse 6 through 11 is a, a conversation between Jesus and Peter, but we won't talk about that. Verse 12 says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place at the table. And then he says this, Do you understand what I've just done for you? He says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verily, truly, I, say, I, t- I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, now let me just go ahead and give you a disclaimer. We're not going to wash anyone's feet here. Uh, I've actually been to one of those church services before. I had, I'd like took off running for the door. Like, don't touch my feet, and I'm not touching your feet. That, that will cause a fight, okay? So we're not going to do that, but it's, it's, a, it's a representation, as we'll talk about. Uh, the towel represents serving. John chapter 13, when Jesus picks up the towel and he washes their feet, he is teaching them a lesson on serving. And so the title of my uh, next few minutes that we're going to talk is, is simply this, Towels Over Titles, Towels Over Titles, Towels Over Titles. I love this because the picture you get is this, is that Jesus, he's, he's called this party together. This is the last time they're really going to get together, spend some time together over, over a meal. And so they gather. They have set aside a room at a space where they're going to go. The table has already been set. The food has been prepared. Everything is waiting on them. And um, the Bible says that these guys, now go with me in your imagination. These guys, they get to the room, open the door, walk in. And this is the point at the door, in, in, in this custom, at the door right there, there would be a basin of water, a towel sitting there, but there'd also be an attendant. It would be a servant. Most scholars say that this would be the lowest servant on the servant organizational chart. It would probably be a slave. This is a person that was really, they didn't make any money and they weren't making a difference with their life, so to speak. And at this moment, when the disciples come in, Jesus and his men, they walk in. There's a, we know that there's a bowl there. We know that there's water in the bowl because we see later in the story that Jesus uses it. We know that there's a towel there, but there's no one in that place to do this assignment. And they begin to walk in one by one. And I just imagine, like, the first, like, Thomas walking in, doubting Thomas, you know, walking in. And, like, he's, he stops, he checks up, like, who's going to wash my feet? And it's like, this is something, this is not a luxury in Jerusalem. This is a necessity in Jerusalem. For there would be garbage and feces and different things, dust and garbage on the streets. And they wore these, I call them Air Jerusalems, some Birkenstocks back in the day. Their feet would be disgusting. I mean, just covered in stuff. And so this was a necessity. This was a custom, a Jewish custom. They would wash their feet. And there was always a servant that was assigned to that moment, but there was no servant there. And so I imagine Thomas walking by like, 
man, who's going to do this job today? Like, who's, where's the guy at that normally does this? And he's like, well, I guess we're not going to do that today because I'm not going to touch my own dirty feet before I eat. So he walks past, and then Peter walks past, and every single disciple walks past. Uh, the place where there should be someone serving this need, no one is there. I want you to notice that there are the resources available. Uh, the need is available. Everything's available except for a person to meet the need that's there. I think quite often that in our community, in our city, God has the resources to meet the needs, and the need is there. Everything is there. The table has been set for someone to step up and to do something, but a lot of times we just walk by thinking, well, that's not my job. That's somebody else's job. Like, have you ever walked down the Embarcadero and saw all the homeless people and thought, well, you know, the Trump's, Trump administration needs to do something about this, or our mayor needs to do something about this, or this person. But what if the church did not just walk by but we would come, we'd see a need, and we'd say, you know what? Here's what serving is. You see a need, you meet it, you see something needs to be done, and you do it. That's it. There, there's, there's nothing spectacular about it. You see a need, and you meet it. You see something needs to be done, and you do it. You take ownership. It's amazing how many people really take ownership of their city. Like, I love my city. I'm devoted to my city. I love the giants. I love this. I love the boys, all this stuff. But when it comes to the needs of our city, it's someone else's job. Man, I hope we're a church. That we, when we see, when we walk past a need, we go, is there a way that we could maybe serve and meet that need? Not just as a church collectively, but as individuals that when we walk by, when we walk by a need, when we find out something, that some kind of broken system within our community, within our city, we say, is there, is there maybe a way that I could serve this need and be a part of it? Is there some kind of way that I could fix this? As a parent, if you have kids that go to a school and there's something broken about the school system, don't just say, someone needs to fix this, but... What if God's called you to step up and to serve and to volunteer and to be a part of fixing it? Let's always be willing to be an answer to the prayers that we're praying and the critiques that we're giving. Church, church should step up when they see those needs. So they begin to walk by, and uh, they all sit down at the table. And, and here's, here's why it's so important that you understand the power of this moment. It makes so much sense when you read the other account over in Luke 20 or 22 about this. It's the same table, the same moment, the same unmet need of washing their feet. It's the same context, but Luke gives us a little detail that John doesn't. That they all sit down at the table and they start arguing. The disciples, the leaders of the church are arguing who's the greatest. Can you put that on the screen for just a moment? They, they say this over in Luke. He says, a dispute arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. This is the dinner conversation that Jesus sits down at, and I imagine the Son of God is just sitting back looking at these fools like, I've been with you for three years, and you haven't got this yet. And they're just arguing, no, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And no one has, has, has stopped to meet this low, small assignment, this need, and Jesus is sitting there, and, and I just, I love Jesus. He's, he's like, I'm about to teach these fools a lesson. This is the backdrop. There's an argument about who's the biggest and the baddest and the greatest, who's the super disciple. Jesus gets up from the table, unannounced. He just gets up, and, and the, the leaders are sitting there. The leaders of the church are stuffing their face. They're already eating, and Jesus gets up from the table. I pray that we would be a church that gets up from the table, that we would not be a church that's stuffing our face as a community while other people are hurting and dying outside of our church. But Jesus gets up from the table, and he walks over there, doesn't say anything, but he takes off his robe. This is the rabbi's robe. 
when people would see the rabbi uh, with his robe, this indicator of who he was, they would see this and they would respect him. This was a position and a title that was respected, revered, and honored. This was, this was a position that people looked up to. This was a, a pretty, pretty big deal. And Jesus, he takes his robe and he takes it off. And he hangs his robe up. He hangs his title up. He hangs his position up. He trades in his robe for a towel. And he takes his towel and he not only holds it in his hands, the Bible says that he wraps it around him and he ties it around him. What was a robe, what was prestige and something that was revered and honored, he lays down and he picks up a servant, a slave's towel, an apron. And he begins to go one by one. I I wonder if they didn't even notice. I wonder if they're like, oh, finally the servant's here. And they just didn't even look down because they're arguing about who's the greatest. And Thomas pulls them big old hammers out, just dirty and nasty. And Jesus is down on his knees. And Jesus, the Son of God, the same hands that hung the stars and formed the mountains and put the sun, the same one that, that he, th- these are the hands of the creator of the universe. He, he's down on his knees and he begins to wash the filthy, disgusting feet of these disciples one by one. All of a sudden, I imagine that one of them recognized like, that's Jesus. Over here, oh my gosh, this is so weird. This is so awkward. And they're probably getting uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden he gets to Peter. And in verse 6 and 11, him and Peter kind of hash it out a little bit. Peter's like, no, you're not going to touch my feet. Don't touch my He probably had really ugly feet. So you're not going to touch my feet. You're not going to, please don't touch my feet. <clears throat> and and I, think, I think it's amazing because I think the first lesson that Jesus is trying to teach these guys that are arguing about who's the greatest and we want to be great and I want to be great. I think the first thing he's trying to teach them is this. When he takes his robe off and he grabs a towel, that if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. If you're too big to serve, Peter, you're too small to lead my church. If you're too big to serve, Thomas, how are you ever going to do what I've called you to do in my church and in the community and the city? If you're too big to serve, you're too small to, too small to lead. Or let me say it like this. If serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. If serving is beneath you, then leading your team At work, it's beyond you. If God's put you in a place of leadership and you have people that are under you on an organizational chart, listen, you need to get this mental picture. You need to take your organizational chart and flip it upside down because God's put you under to serve them. It's hard to look down at people when you're washing their feet. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. If you're in a place of leadership, you're really, you're in a place of servant leadership. God has not called you to be great. He's called you to make other people great. It's not our assignment to make ourselves into something. Other than we say, yes, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and allow him to make us and mold us and sculpt us into servants that would reflect his glory and his humility and his grace and his love to people. That's what God's called us to do. But if we're too big to serve, we'll be too small to lead. We'll never be able to lead people to a place where God wants them to be if we never fall into line and align ourselves with serving him. The people in God's kingdom that make a difference, truly make a difference, The people that pick up a towel, they take off the robe and they pick up a towel. I I think the greatest title you'll ever receive will be that of a servant. There's some of you, thank you, Holy Spirit. There's some of you that right now, you're, you're aiming for that title at your job because of the compensation package that comes with it. And you're aiming, somebody's like, shh. It's true. We do that, don't we, in our job? We're, we're aiming for that because of all the benefits that come with it. I'll now get to fly first class now, and it'll be this, that, whatever. Listen, the greatest thing you could aim for is just to be a servant. 
It's just to be a servant. God will use you to make a massive difference. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Now, I love this because he takes off the robe. He picks up the towel, but he doesn't just hold the towel in his hand. He takes the towel, he wraps it around his body, and he ties it there. I, I, I would like to think that he's, he's even trying to teach them something with this, is that serving, it has to become part of the fabric of who you are, the ethos, the essence, your character, your culture. It has to become a part of you because serving is not something that you do. Serving is who you are. And when serving is who you are, when it's a part of your very character and culture and makeup, it becomes like second nature. You just do it. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter your context. You don't just serve at church, but you serve when you walk into the restroom and it's in a public restroom and it's completely a mess and there's napkins everywhere. You know how people always leave water on the counter and you you lean up to wash your hands and it gets water and it looks like you peed on yourself. Like, Like you walk into those bathrooms in those moments, you don't do this. You don't go, somebody needs to come and take care of this. You know what you do? Because you are a servant. Serving is not something you do. It's who you are. You actually, you'll pick up some of the napkins and you'll throw them away. And you may even wipe down the counter and then you'll wash your hands. Because serving is who you are. It's not just something that you do. I love it. Because Jesus was such a servant. It wasn't just something that he did. But when he, anytime he saw a need, he would just serve it. You see a need, you meet it, you see something needs to be done and you do it. You don't just do it in certain environments. You do it everywhere because serving is who you are. When he saw a blind person, he served them by opening their eyes. When he saw hungry people, he served them by, by serving them bread and fish, multiplying food. When he saw dead people, he raised them to life. When he saw lonely people that had been ostracized by people because of their disease of leprosy, he reached out and he laid his hands on them and he touched them. Jesus served broken humanity, and the greatest service of all was whenever he saw the greatest need of all, which was the brokenness and the depravity of man, sin. It it was that estrangement from God. He saw the need, and what did he do? He served humanity, served you and I by laying his life down on a cross and dying a criminal's death in our place. He was the only one available, capable, and able to do this task, and he stepped into that moment. He was a servant. It wasn't just something that he did. It's who he was at his very nature. So let me ask you this question, like, okay, Jason, if that's who we are, not just something that we do, how do I get to that place? Because right now I know that I'm not that. Practically, how do I get to that place? I begin to think about that, and I was like, God, give me some kind of very, like, revelatory, awesome thing. And he said, Jason, it's not that, it's, it's, it's not some, like, really deep thing. It's really two things, prayer and practice. Prayer is this, God, I don't, I'm not a servant. I don't have a heart of a servant, but I want it. God, will you please, will you give me the heart of Jesus to serve my family, to serve my spouse, to serve my city, to serve my community? It's prayer. It's in prayer that God does more than change situations. He changes us. God, change my heart. Give me a servant's heart. It's prayer. That's the spiritual side, but it's also very practical. Practice. I tell my kids all the time, practice makes progress. Not perfect, right? Practice doesn't make makes per- perfect. Practice makes progress. You move forward, you grow the more that you practice something. And it's in the doing we find the becoming, is that you don't just become something. You have to do it and do it and practice and do it and go and go. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a part of who you are. Listen, in giving, I became a giver. In worshiping, I became a worshiper. Today, I was down here worshiping. Listen, not because like, this wasn't like one day I was like, I'm going to be a worshiper. That didn't happen. I was so nervous to raise my hands in church. I thought, I mean, I, I thought it was cooler than everybody. Like, I was so cool. I, I mean, this was whenever I didn't even have a job. 
Like, I, 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 didn't, I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. I didn't have a car. I was a nothing and a nobody, and I thought I was cooler than everybody else. I was so prideful, but God began to work in my pride, and he said, I want you to humble yourself and lift your hands in worship. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's so, somebody's look, people are looking at me. No one was looking at me. People were looking at Jesus. They had their eyes on God, not me. And I'm sitting there so worried about it. And you know what I did the first time? I was like, <laughs> you know, and then I did like hold, hold the baby. You know, and then I kind of moved them up a little bit. And next thing you know, I was like, but you know, in worshiping, I became a worshiper. In giving, I became a giver. Giver. In playing golf, I became a golfer. That's still debatable. <laughs> but it's in the doing that you become. And I just want to encourage you with this. That, that if, you want, if you realize and you recognize that you're not really a servant, you don't have a servant's heart, listen, I'm not trying to come down on you. I just pray that the Holy Spirit will just show you that. And then all you do is just start praying. Just, you could pray today. God, will you, will you give me a servant's heart? I want to start serving people. I want to be a servant leader at my business, in my community. God, I want to be a servant leader. You start praying, but it's, it can't stop there. Like, you can't just pray and it just, something just happened like that. You have to begin to practice. It's in the doing you'll see the becoming. And the last part of it is this, is, is uh, number three. I'll give you this last point. There is a blessing. This is really simple. There is a blessing in serving. Look at what it says towards the end. Jesus says to them, he says in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. You should serve one another. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17, Now that you know these things, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I, I, really, I really sense that what God's saying right here is like, I'm, I want to I bless so many areas of your life. And the, and the key that will unlock those things is for you just to position yourself as a humble servant. Like I, I even thought this, like there's some areas in maybe your, your job or your workplace where you, you want a promotion or you're praying for this, this thing to happen or for you to get favor in your job. Could it be the thing that could unlock that is for you to begin serving at your workplace? Really serving, not just doing your job, but serving. And I think there's so many different areas of our life. God's like just, it's like he's up there with all these blessings. He just wants to like just boom, just drop in our life. And I think God does want to bless you. This isn't prosperity gospel. This is just God's good. And God likes to bless his kids. But it could be that a lot of times we haven't positioned ourselves to receive the blessing of God because we haven't unlocked that, that key to serving and serving the people around us. Just seeing the need, meet it, see some needs be done and do it. I believe that the blessing of blessing of God will rest heavy on our church. He's already blessed us, but he'll continue to pour out more and more blessing on our church the more and more that we serve our city. I really believe with all my heart. You know why? Because the more we leverage our resources, our time, our energy, our effort to go and serve outside of this church, here's what God does. God says, I can trust that church. This church is not just self-centered and just about themselves. This church is about other people. This church is about being a blessing. This church is about making the, the city better and brighter. And when we do that as a church, collectively and individually, God says, I'm going to keep blessing them because they're good stewards. They're stewards of favor. They're stewards of open doors. They're stewards of resources. That's what he does with our life. He does it for us as a church, and he'll do it for you as individuals. I want to say this. I want to recognize somebody today. We had some people today. Talk about just not being just about yourself, but being a blessing to other people. We have some men that are here today from Teen, Teen Challenge, uh, a ministry, a great ministry that we partner with. You know, they showed up this morning at 6 a.m. to come here and to serve this church. 
come here and to invest in us and to be a blessing to us. I want to thank you, men, for doing that. And I believe that the men, you, you hear me, that, that you're here serving today. God's going to bless your life for that. You came, you didn't have to serve today. You didn't have to come here and sacrifice your time, but you came here willingly to serve us. And we want to say thank you. And we pray God's best for you. We pray he blesses your finances. We pray he blesses you with amazing jobs. That he blesses your family. That he blesses every area of your life because of your heart to serve. We really believe that God wants to do that. Amen. Here, let me give you something really practical with this. I'm, I'm really excited about, um, about this Saturday that's coming up. You can, you can sign up to be a part of our, our National Serve Day. There's churches all over America that, is do, that are doing this, really all over the world that are doing this. Uh, it's just a, a, a one-day event where we practically just go out and we just serve our community just to say, hey, we love our city. Uh, we're taking responsibility for our city. We want to we serve with no strings attached. And so we'd invite you to, to join and be a part of that. After service, I think out in the lobby, you'll be able, to, uh, you'll be able to, to check out a little bit of that. But you can also go online at Sozo Church or Sozo.co. I think it's uh, slash outreach. And you can, you can sign up there. We have an app that's amazing, all that stuff. But one of the other things I want to encourage you to do, you can do that. I think we have five different outreaches that are scheduled. I'm going to be leading one. Uh, I think I'm, I'm a part of uh, care packages to the homeless love and serve our, our brothers and sisters that, that find themselves in tough situations, but we have a lot of great ones that are going on, very practical, some are just fun, um, and, and it's going to be a good day, but here's what I want you to do, sign up for that, but some of you, maybe you already have plans, here's something very practical that you can do, starting tomorrow, is uh, you should have received these cards when you came in, Thanks, Gabby. you should have received some of these cards when you came in, a little bundle, it says Sozo right here, and it has a little, it has a little invite on one of the cards, if you feel like you want to use one of these, but we have another card that just says this. I love it. It's, it says on the back of it, it says, here's a small gift to brighten your day. No strings attached. And one of the things that I love to do is I love to do like this stealth serve, like this just like total like assassin, sneaky kind of serve. I love to buy other people's meal and they don't even know it. And I slip one of these cards to the server. I'm like, I want to pay for their meal and I'm going to give you a good tip. And here, I want you to take this card and put this with the receipt and give it to them. Don't tell them who it was. Sometimes I'll buy people coffee. Sometimes I'll be in line at Chick-fil-A. Hey. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for Chick-fil-A right now in Jesus' name. But I'll be at Chick-fil-A. You know, you can, you can pay for somebody's meal behind you, and you leave them one of those cards. You know, So whatever. And, and maybe you don't feel comfortable doing that. Uh, I would encourage you to do it anyway. Uh, because one of the amazing things that God does is, is he pushes us outside of our, our comfort, and that's where growth happens. Some of you have never had the opportunity to invite someone uh, to come to church. This is an easy way for you to do that. It's a very simple way. Uh, some of you have never had an opportunity to invite someone uh, to Christ and share your story with them. I'm praying that God will use this to unlock a conversation that you can share your faith and share Jesus Christ with someone. And you never know, on the other side of one of these cards, could be someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. You can you can follow us on social media. I think every single day we're going to be posting like little different samples of or different uh, examples of how you can be a part of this. I want to encourage you. Let's join in. Let's do this this week. And, and here's all this is. This isn't just some clever marketing for our church as a church community. I want us to begin to get this on the inside of our heart. I want us to begin to just say, well, you know what, God, we're going to serve our city. We're going to serve our community in practical ways and see what God does. Amen. Awesome. Let me finish with telling you this uh, as I pray for you. There's a guy that was part of our youth ministry uh, back in the day. Uh, he didn't like me at first when he was in junior high. He started coming, and he actually couldn't stand me. His name was Jordan Gotro. And do you have a picture of Jordan that you can throw up here? Uh, yeah, here's Jordan right here. Uh, just, I mean, he had the best smile. But this is obviously when he wasn't in junior high. That would be weird with that big beard, right? 
Actually, I think he had a beard in junior high. Um, but he didn't like me when he was in junior high. And then we became friends. And he was in the youth ministry. And, man, he was such a great kid. Loved Jesus with all of his heart. At his, he was valedictorian uh, of his class, his senior class. And uh, he got up and did the little speech, you know. Uh, what is that called? A commencement speech or whatever. And he got up and he did the little valedictorian speech. And uh, he, he, he shared his faith in Christ and preached Jesus to his graduating class into his entire school. It was awesome. Uh, he had a full paid scholarship to go play basketball somewhere, but he declined on that and went to a Bible, like a Bible college because he felt called to ministry. And uh, he started serving in our in our youth ministry. And this kid, there was nothing really supernatural, spectacular about him. He just was a servant. He loved to serve people, serve the city. Uh, he would serve in the junior high ministry, leading a small group. How many know it takes like a serious calling to serve junior high kids. I mean, dear God. But he served like with the junior high uh, kids. He served also in the youth ministry. He would set up the chairs and, and, and do much like what our load-in team does here. Uh, he would he would set everything up. He would go uh, and do a, like a Bible study at a nursing home uh, in our community to go and serve those people. One time I asked him, I was like, why do you go there? He was like, well, man, they're about to go meet Jesus, so they need to know him, you know? So, uh, <clears throat> but he'd go and he would serve there. Uh, on Thursday mornings, he would do a homeless breakfast where he would go and serve about 120 men and women breakfast and then uh, do Bible studies with them and just, just love them in uh, practical ways and share Christ with them. This guy was just an amazing servant. Not some big preacher, not some great whatever, just he was a servant. And when he was 22 years old, 22 years old in 2010, November 7th, 2010, um, he was serving at church on the front of the church property was putting out a sign I think that said like welcome home or welcome to church and a car swerved off the road lost control and swerved off, off, the, off the road and, and it landed on top of him and it killed him tragically at our church and uh, this kid was I'd been mentoring him for seven eight years and he was the backfill for my position as a youth pastor at this church and as you can imagine just devastated me there's many people that are here today they were friends before devastated him but right, I guess probably a week or two before he passed away I remember him telling me, Pastor Jason, he was like, I just want to make a difference with my life. And I just, I just don't feel like I'm doing that. He was like, I just, you know, I set up chairs and I serve and I, you know, I go and I do these homeless outreaches and I, they just seem like so small, insignificant things. But I really just want to make a difference and I just don't feel like I am. And I want to hear God say, well done, good, faithful servant. So I just encouraged him. I was like, Jordan, you're making a difference. Your life does count. People's lives are being impacted by you. And, uh, and I just tried to encourage him in that moment, not knowing that a week later that he would he would be standing before his Savior and he'd hear, well done, good, faithful servant. But at his funeral, I'll tell you all that to say this, is that when he'd go do all those those outreaches, he'd wear what we call a serve team shirt. It was this red serve team shirt. It's a serve on the back. And uh, at his funeral, in his honor, everyone wore a red serve team shirt. And they had a few thousand people at his funeral. And they had thousands and thousands of people all around the world tuning in, watching online because of his story. Here, listen, not because he was some big-time preacher, not because he was some leader at some business. It was because he was a servant. He just served the needs of people. And at his funeral, look at, look at this at his funeral. They had lines and lines of people at his casket that he had impacted their life in some kind of small way that made a big difference in his life. And they wrote down all these different things about him on his casket. There were lines and like droves of people wearing those red serve team shirts. This was the statement that I heard about him at his funeral, is that life is not measured in its duration, but in its donation. It's not about how long you live. It's about the contribution we make in loving and serving the people around us. Amen.
Lord, why don't you bow your heads with me? I want to pray for us. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you. God, we're sitting here talking about us serving people around us. The truth is, the only, the, the greatest motivation that we could have to serve others is to draw from the wells of your love and grace that you've given to us by serving us, by laying down your life on the cross. The truth is, we were in great need in, in, in our sin and our brokenness and our emptiness. And Jesus, because you went to the cross and you died for us, you sacrificed your life, you took off the robe and you put on thorns. God, you put on a cross. It didn't matter for you if it was a tower or a cross, you were here to serve broken humanity. That was your assignment. And God, I'm so thankful for that. And it is out of that, that is the motivation for us to serve. We don't, we don't serve people out of guilt. We serve people out of grace, out of what you've done for us, in us and to us. And so God, I pray that that would be the motivations of our heart. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just ask you this today. You say, hey, Jason, I, the truth is, I, I just don't have a relationship with God. I don't know God personally. But I would like to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ today. If that's you, it's very simple. The Bible just says, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. We just simply just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I, I'm a sinner that just, I need forgiveness. When we say that, the Bible says that we, be, we become a new person fresh start and a new beginning, we can become a follower of Jesus. So maybe pray something like this. Just say, maybe to just in your own heart, say, Jesus, right now I commit my life to you. Will you forgive me of my sins and give me a fresh start and a new beginning? Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Today I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Join us each week on the podcast or live in San Francisco, California. Keep up with life at Sozo Church by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.